Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans tw chapter 12. Greetings to everybody who's watching us online. You're watching us on Facebook Live or YouTube or Twitter's Periscope. Go ahead and share and retweet and invite other people to watch with you. Start a watch party. Greetings to everybody watching us on Faith Plus all around the world. We're so glad you're tuned in to our faith experience this morning. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you want to follow along with me in my notes, you can find them as the third link on the Faith Plus app. As well as you'll be able to find them in the YouVersion Bible app. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 1. We're starting a series today called New Year, New You, question mark. New Year, New You, question mark. Because a lot of people like the hashtag New Year, New Me. Just because it's a new year, they expect they're going to do something different. But how many know if you don't change your thinking, if you don't change your patterns, if you don't change your behavior, it'll be a new year but the old you. But what we're going to do in this series is give you the tools that you need to become the new you God wants you to be. God is interested in life transformation. And so we're going to give you the tools from the Word of God today and what God has to say about transforming your life. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So think about the language Paul is using. Paul, as a Jew, is familiar with offering sacrifices. But also the Gentile world at that time was familiar with offering sacrifices. Part of a sacrifice, if you can offer a sacrifice, it's going to die. They would take the sacrifice, place it on the altar, and it's consumed in the fire, whatever manner they use to consume the sacrifice. But Paul says, present your life as a living sacrifice. Put yourself on the altar and stay there. Not a momentary sacrifice. I remember, you know, years ago after the Columbine Massacre, when that young girl who was a martyr, truly is a scripture definition of martyr, when those young men were going around shooting other teenagers, they said, if you believe in God, stand up. And she stood up and said, I believe in him. I won't deny him. And they killed her. And so what was really popular in youth groups right after that is, are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to be a martyr? That's what they talked about in all these youth groups all around. And dying for Jesus, being a martyr, yes, that has an importance. But you know what's harder than dying for Jesus? Living. Dying for him is a momentary decision. Living is decision after decision after decision after decision. It's an everyday process. So Paul is saying, live on the altar. And then he says, it's your reasonable service. Reasonable, it's logical. He's like Spock here from Star Trek. It's only logical. In Paul's mind, you don't even have to be emotional about it. It's only logical that you live for Jesus. It's only logical you live as a sacrifice. It's only logical you keep your life on the altar. And this word service is worship service. See, for most of you today, 
This experience is not a service. That's why we call it experience, because we want people to come and experience God, experience His Word, experience His presence, experience His love. There are people who are serving. There's about 100 people today who are serving today. It is a service for them. But for the other couple hundred people here, it's not a service to you. It's an experience. So that means the real service for you does not happen while you're worshiping or while you're getting the Word. It comes when you leave these doors. So the thing is, a lot of people look sanctified and saved at church. But how do you look in your house, at your school, at your job, and the marketplace, wherever you go? That's your worship service. And Paul said living that way is only logical. It just makes sense when you think about everything Jesus has done for you. So Paul goes on and says, and. So if that was enough, he says, and. He's like, I'm not through yet. Be not conformed to this world. This world means age. It's ta not talking about the earth. It's talking about the customs and the patterns, patterns and the cultural opinions of this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me give you a definition for conform real quick. It means to behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards to behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards, which lets me know that society may have a standard that God disagrees with. Amen. Society may say one thing is right, and God says you're dead wrong about that. And so Paul is saying when it comes down to it, you have to make a decision. Are you going to look like the world, or are you going to look like your God? See, he's not talking to sinners. He's talking to Christians. Christians, who do you look like? Who do you act like? Who do you talk like? Who do you post like? Who do you tweet like? Are you conforming? See, some people here, you love to be nonconformist. And all your patterns, decision-making, your clothing, say, you know, I'm going to stand out wherever I go. And that's just part of your thing. Cool, more power to you. But when it comes to your spiritual life, and your walk with God, are you a nonconformist? Or have you just conformed with your nonconformist clothes? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This word transform means to change into another form or to be transfigured. This word renew means a complete change for the better. So this would fall under new year, new you. But this word also means to renovate. Has anyone ever renovated a house before? That if you're going to renovate a house or renovate a room, you take out what's old, you tear it out, and you replace it. And so for us to live for God, we need some renovations. There's some areas of our lives, some areas more than others, that need some renovation. And Paul said, you need to tear out what doesn't line up to God's standard. And you need to replace it with what does. So that lets you know God has a standard and the world has a standard. But you pick what standard you live by. Because the thing is, God will not make you live right. Anybody notice that yet? God will not make you do anything. If God would make people do something, he would make everybody get saved. 
And if he doesn't make everybody get saved, what makes you think he's going to make you live right? So if God doesn't want me to smoke weed, he'll stop me. No. Well, if God doesn't want me to get drunk on Saturday night, then he'll stop me. No, that's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. You have a choice whether you will live right or live a hot mess. You have a choice of whether you're going to live a life that promotes Jesus or live a life that brings shame to his name. It's your choice. He said, well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and I talk in other tongues, but you lie in English. Some of you need that little cat to follow you around. You know that meme from last year, the lady yelling and the cat responding? Some of you have that little cat follow you around. Your life should just be a little bit higher level living. Because a lot of times we like to put on a show like everything's right. Like we walk around like this pizza box. Because most people, if they saw a pizza box, they'd think what? What's inside? A pizza. And so we look around, we present this perfect image of we got it all together, but on the inside, See, the thing is, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You may be fool a whole lot of people. You can't fool God. He knows, and you know. Everybody else may think your pizza box is full. God knows, and you know. And some of the people closest to you, they know you too. Someone say, don't be crusty. This word prove here, because it's proved what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God, means to recognize as genuine after examination to deem worthy. You know what this lets me know? If you don't renew your mind and become transformed, you won't know what the will of God is. You won't know at all. Because you've not taken God's way as your standard. It's now your feelings. So that means there can be a lot of people that name the name of Jesus and say, well, this is the will of God and be completely wrong. They can say, well, this is what we do in 2019. This must be what God wants and be completely wrong. Well, I don't feel like how this could be, you know, wrong in today's age and still be completely wrong. So, well, that's not love. You don't know love is until you have a standard to judge it by. You know, the Bible tells us not to unrighteously judge and people who are living in sin love that scripture. Well, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. But, you know, context is king. If you take the text out of the context, you're left with a con. And so when you understand the context, it's talking about unrighteously judging. And unrighteously judging is using yourself by the instrument you judge by. Why? Because you feel one way one day and feel another way the next. So today, you feel like this is wrong. Tomorrow, eh, well, maybe. Next week, eh, well, you know, I understand. Two weeks later, no, they're dead wrong. We can't judge by our feelings because our feelings are fickle. Anybody have five different feelings in two minutes? Don't let you be hungry, be ten different feelings. Our feelings cannot be the standard. Popular opinion cannot be the standard because that will change, especially in our short attention span generation. Come on, even news trends. Somebody could be a villain one day, 
and they talk about them for 48 hours. But by hour 72, something new happened, people forgot about them. And he only remember when Facebook says, a year ago. So popular opinion cannot be the standard because that always changes. Scientific fact cannot be the opinion because that keeps changing. How many remember, remember the commercials from the 90s, milk does a body good? Now people are like, well, I'm not sure. It may do you good, it may mess you up, it may make you gassy. Well, we're not sure what it does for everybody. Then some people say, oh, almond milk. Well, no, almond milk's not good for you. No, so scientific fact keeps changing. So there has to be a higher standard we judge our lives by, especially if we name the name of Jesus, especially if we want to know what the will of God is for these days of confusion. We live in the age of information, but it's filled with misinformation. See, fake news didn't just appear three years ago. Fake news has been there. And so now you have a generation that has information at their fingertips, that they can Google stuff and pull up an answer that still may be false. So we have kids growing up in a generation where the teacher can say something, their parent can say something, the pastor could say something, like, well, let's see what Google has to say. And so now they have to know what do I judge what they say by what's all out there on Google and YouTube. You got to watch out what your kids watch on YouTube. It's indoctrinating them. They have to know there has to be an absolute standard. They have to know it's not all relative. See, a dangerous phrase we've accepted in our generation is, you know, live your truth. Well, if it's your truth, and so that makes all truth relative. No, there is an absolute truth. So, well, that's true to me. That's not true to you. No, there is an absolute truth. There is an absolute standard. And we must line our life by that standard if we expect to know what is the will of God. Because we can't renovate our mind if we don't know what the standard is. See, life transformation is possible. See, the word for transform here is also transfigured, which is used in a couple other verses. Let me read some of them to you. Matthew 17. Verses 1 and 2 says, After six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up to a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. Same word for transform. And his face does shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So Jesus is walking with them, looking as he always looks, just like human. Because remember, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. When he came to the earth, he left his glory that he had as complete divinity on the throne with God. He came to live as a man anointed by God. But this moment, he is transformed. And they could see him for who he truly is. He went from just looking like a normal human to looking at his divinity. That was transformation. That tells you how much transformation is possible in your life. That if Jesus walking one moment, looks like everybody else, and the next moment, filled with the glory of God, what can God do in your life? See, transformation is possible. The same word is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, but we all with an open face beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. Same image. Not lesser image, not junior image, not image devalued, devolved. Same image. Looking at the glorified Jesus. Same image. So it was great. Jesus can be transfigured. It's great. Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is perfect. Yes, He is. But aren't you children of God? You know, 
Peter said in his writings that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. How was Jesus born into this earth? How does this human form come into this earth? The Word was spoken to Mary. She believed. And at the moment she believed, she conceived and became pregnant with the Son of God. Jesus was brought into the earth by the Word of God. You were brought into the kingdom of God by the Word of God. What do you mean, Pastor? You heard the Word. Someone talked to you. Someone preached to you. Someone taught you about Jesus, that He came, that He died. And on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. And you believed in your heart. And you said in your mind, as soon as you did that, you were born again into the kingdom of life. You were born again, not of corruptible seed. So if it was a corruptible seed, you say, well, it produces this in Jesus. It produces this in some super spiritual person, but I got the, you know, the low end of the stick. I got the bad portion of the seed, and so I can't do what all those super spiritual people do. No, we were all born from the same seed, the seed of the Word of God. So if Jesus can transform, so can you. You can become the new you God wants you to be in this year of transformation and restoration. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So glory to glory, don't let me know. It's a process. See, a lot of people want to be overnight. Pastor, just take your Bible, wave it over me, and in that less than five seconds, I'll be different. But there's a word called process. And process speaks of time. Process means you have to walk it out. Because a lot of people want God to get them out of stuff in five seconds that they took 50 years to create. And they get upset if it doesn't change in five seconds. Well, I don't know why I'm prospering. Well, you haven't worked in five years. Well, I've been standing on my healing scriptures. I don't know why I'm not feeling better. Well, check what you've been eating. I don't know why God didn't fix it. I said healing scripture for five seconds. Well, maybe there's a process you need to go through. See, a lot of things we put back on God, and God said, it ain't been me. And they say, oh, it must have been the devil. It ain't been him either. You know, the old Tyler Perry uh, play, you bad all by yourself. We've got to change some behaviors. We have to change some actions that we expect to transform. And that transformation begins with changing how we think, with renovating our mind. You say, well, pastor, I grew up in church. Well, that's great. That's a good place to grow up in. But you can still be taught the wrong thing growing up in church. You can taught a lot of religion, a lot of conformist ways that don't line up with the Word of God. So I grew up in America, well, and? Well, I grew up in the Kojic Church, the Word Church, the Baptist Church. Well, great. I'm glad you had exposure to Jesus in some levels of His Word. But just because you grew up a certain way doesn't mean you knew everything you're supposed to do. And also doesn't mean you were listening. Some of you listen to me right now, others you aren't. Just because you were in church didn't mean church got in you, but that's another message. Just because you park, you are in a garage does not make you a car. Not everybody comes to church to experience God or to get the word. People come to church for many different reasons. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, there has to be an absolute standard. There has to be something that's higher than our way of thinking if we have to renovate our mind. There has to be something that's higher than our way of feeling, 
higher than popular opinion. See, even the baby told me amen. So the rest of y'all need to tell me amen. Out of the mouth of babes. If the baby can tell me amen, all y'all can give me a lot more amens. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Notice what it said here. Let the wicked forsake his way. And a lot of times we see the word wicked, oh, that's some very evil person. The word wicked just means twisted. Let the person who's living a twisted way stop doing that. Which means there's a little bit of truth and you twisted it. So there can be what we call, quote unquote, good people living wickedly. Or like what Bishop Marvin Wines called, the believers behaving badly. You saved, but people wouldn't be able to know that for how you live. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's level of thinking is higher. His ways of living, the way of walking it out is higher. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that man may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So one of the purposes of the word is to transform the way we think. Jesus said in John 17, 17, in his prayer, sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is truth. The word of God is the truth of God. It is the absolute standard we are to judge our lives by. If you name the name of Jesus, you must live by the word of God. He said, well, so-and-so doesn't live by the word of God. You know, anybody have kids here? What would you do if they said, well, my friend doesn't do that? You're like, well, I ain't your friend's parents. I ain't your friend's mama. I ain't your friend's daddy. If your friend jumped off of the Hoover Dam, would you jump off it too? It'd be something like that. You know, I wonder if God ever wants to have a conversation with you like that. Complaining, well, it's so hard to live holy. Well, stop looking at the wrong thing. You know, if you looked at the right thing, it'd be easier. So many people struggle in living right because they fill their eyes and their ears and the heart with the wrong thing. And one of the things I believe it says in Jude, it talks about the dangers of people complaining about God's standards. Talking about the people going around complaining that God's standard is too hard. You know, it's too hard to be holy. It's too hard to live right. It's too hard to actually wait to have sex till you get married. It's too hard not to smoke weed. It's too hard not to drink. It's too hard to do all these other things, whatever your list is. And the more you complain, the more you entertain the enemy. And you end up deceived even though you knew the truth and you walk away from God because of your complaining. God does have a standard. There is absolute truth in a day of relativism. In a day where everybody, see one of the things you understand about Americans, the way of thinking, if you've been here one or two generations, you are American, and you're thinking and your patterns and you're living, whether you say, well, I'm not American, you is. <laughs> Travel the world, they will remind you. We have certain things about our culture that are just very distinct. We are a very loud people. In general, all Americans 
all races within this nation. We loud. Well, how do you know? I've been to other places in the world where you know, I go into restaurants like, wow, it's so quiet in here. There's no music blaring. There's no loud talk at the table. But you know when Americans show up because the noise shows up. I remember I was, I was on a mission trip in Argentina about a decade ago. And so we're talking at our normal level, not natural, just normal level, a group of us walking around and someone comes around the corner and says, I'm from America, I've been away. I just needed to hear the American accent real again. I've been out, away from home for years. I'm like, but she could hear us as we were coming. <laughs> so they knew. So there's certain things about us that kind of just part of our nationality. But one of the things also we do in America, we have a culture of mixing things. So we'll take things, some from Christianity, some from Islam, some from Buddhism, some from Hinduism, and we just mix it up, all mix it together. And you'll quote something that's not in the Word of God. There are people who quote Benjamin Franklin to this day, and they think it's the book of Proverbs. Well, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. It's not there. Well, you know, the Bible says a penny, a penny saved is a penny. No, it doesn't. But we have this habit of mixing stuff up, and we think we're living by the Word. But we're actually not. We're living by our culture. And there's some things in our culture that's right, but there's some things that are wrong. No matter if you follow an elephant or a donkey, there are things that are wrong. Whether you love Trump or you love Pelosi, there are things that are wrong. No side has a corner on Jesus. They all need help and a lot of prayer, especially in tongues. You pray for them in tongues, your opinion and your politics can't get in the way. See, the thing is, if you hate a politician, you ain't praying for them. Because if you actually spent time and prayed for them in tongues, you wouldn't hate them. You may not like their policies, that's fine, but you wouldn't hate them. So for people who say they hate a politician, you can tell, oh, you ain't been praying. Well... You see, when I talk about, I've taught people long enough to pray for those in authority, it depends on who's office, who gets mad at me the most. You know, I tell people to pray for President Obama, the Republicans didn't like me. I tell people to pray for President Trump, the Democrats don't like me. I don't care, pray. <laughs> you need to pray for those who are in authority. That's what 1 Timothy 2 teaches us. Paul said to pray for those in authority when Caesar and his crazy tail was in charge. If Paul, if Paul could say pray for Caesar, who was crazy beyond anything you've ever seen in any American politic in any generation, then you can pray for whoever's in office. Too many people wait too late to pray for those in office. You know, people are praying for 2020 where well, you really should already be praying about 2024 and 2028 and future elections and God raises up people. People begin to pray when, well, well we have two selections. Well, how about we pray in advance and the hundreds of millions of people who are in this nation that God can take one and raise them up to do the will of God. That means we actually have to yield ourselves to praying more than about ourselves, our four and no more. And partner with the Holy Ghost in prayer. So God's word is an absolute standard we are to live by. We must make the word the standard of our lives, not popular culture, not popular opinion, and not our feelings, because God's word is truth. Say, God's word, God's word. is truth. So to be transformed into the new you, you must give preeminence to the word. 
You must give preeminence to the Word. You must make it first place in your life. To do this, you must put getting the Word as number one on your list. You need to read it every day. Because how can you know the Word says if you don't read it yourself? Well, I heard so-and-so say, listen, Bible, can you look it up yourself? Come on, it's easier to read the Bible today than any day in history. You can have a physical Bible. You can have an iPad. You can have an iPhone. You can have Android. You can have whatever and read the Bible. And several different translations. I don't understand the King James, but there's a New Living Translation. So we can make excuses, but there's really no reason why we shouldn't be in the book. You need to read it every single day. One of the things I encourage you to do is read a chapter out loud every single day. Why out loud? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You need to hear it every day. One of the things I encourage people to listen, at least listen to a message every day. And so I made it easy a couple years ago. I put all of our messages online. Now I've made it even easier. We started a television network. 24-7. You can hear it every day then you need to come and hear it taught and preach every time your church doors are open. Now, like, oh, I feel like going to church this morning. No, go to church. Mm, I feel led to go to church. Take your tail to church. Lead yourself to church. Lead yourself to the book. Well, I'm tired. A lot of us are tired. Thank God for coffee. You know, and I joke with people. I say, yeah, caffeine is the 13th gift of the Spirit. You know, I really enjoy that ministry of the Holy Ghost. The Java he has sent our way. <laughs> so, you come to church anyway. As often as the church doors are open, you make yourself in here getting the Word because the Word is anointed. It has the power to save, heal, deliver, and preserve. And as you sit under the anointed teaching of the Word of God, there are things that happen as we gather together that you can't get just at home. Or you can't just get reading by yourself. There is something that happens as we come together on what we call the corporate anointing or the very glory of God. And so, yes, we should read it as individuals. Yes, we should listen as individuals. We should also gather. Why? And put it number one. You have to train your kids to do this. Because if your kids see going to church as optional, when they're out your house, they won't go. And you're wondering, Kyle, well, why aren't you going to church? Well, you didn't take me all the time. Why do you expect me to go now? You've got to raise them. This is what we do. We put God first. We get the Word first because the Word has power. We need the Word. We can't live without the Word. You have to teach them that and then show them by example. You have to take them to church. Well, they don't want to go to church. Who's in charge? Is it you or them? You make a decision. I'm taking my kids to the house of God. I'm taking them to the house of faith because you need Jesus. You look at yourself, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Let's go get some more Jesus. You got to make a decision. We're going to get the word of God. You must make that decision and set the tone for your house that we put getting the word as number one because we need the word of God. And the thing is, when you prioritize getting the word of God, God speaks to you more about your everyday life. The message will be going on could be about one subject, and it may not be the subject you need to hear, but because you may get in the Word, number one, the Holy Ghost will talk to you about what you need to hear for the week. It'll be as clear as my voice is right now, but within your heart, and you're writing down. You're taking notes that I'm not even saying because the Holy Ghost is talking to you because you put getting the Word as number one. The Word must be first. 
You must read it every day. You must hear it every day. You must get to church as often as the church doors are open. John 15, verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, which means he cleans it, and it brings more fruit. Now you are clean or purged through the word which I have spoken unto you. One of the ways God cleans up your life is through the word of God. That he'll have someone preach and teach the word that you need to hear, and it will change and clean up your life. That if you want to transform, you need to hear the word. You need to be under the word. You need to receive it. The only way you're going to transform into the new you God wants you to be is to get the word consistently. Get it continually. That's the only way you can renew your mind. You can't renew your mind by reading the Bible once. Heeding a good message once. It's consistently. It's continually. If you want to renovate your thinking so that you can recognize the will of God. So that you can live what God has called you to live. So if you're going to give the word preeminence, if you're going to put it first place, you must, number one, make a decision to believe it. You're either going to believe this book or you're not. So, well, this scholar says this, and. Well, this scientist says this, and. Well, this politician says this. Please don't listen to the politician when it comes to the Bible. They pray for them. Don't let them teach you the Bible. You need to make a decision. Will you believe or won't you believe? Will you or won't you? It's on you. Will you believe the Word of God? You need to make a decision to believe it. Number two, make a decision to get it as often as possible. Yes, start your day reading the Word, but you got some time during the day at night, read some more. Don't put your time of getting the Word at night when you're about to fall asleep. You've already watched Jimmy Fallon, Trevor Noah, or, you know, five hours of Netflix, Disney Plus, whatever. And now you're tired. Ooh, I didn't read the Word today. Let me open it up. Whew, and the Lord said. No, put it first. Get in the Word first. Now, you can read the Word before you fall asleep. It may help you go to sleep. But that shouldn't be your first time reading the Word for the day or your only time reading the Word for the day. That should be extra on your normal habits of reading the Bible. In the day of grace, we are still supposed to have Christian disciplines. And one of those disciplines is reading the Word, getting the Word every single day. You might think, well, pastor, I'm new to reading the Bible. Where should I start? Start with the Gospel of John. Start with the book of Ephesians. Start with the book of Proverbs. Easy places to start. And start reading every day. Number three, make a decision to do it. Don't just be a hearer. Don't just be a reader. Be a doer. If God says it, do it. Well, pastor, I don't understand it all. Nobody does but God himself. <laughs> you may read something you don't understand. Choose to believe it anyways. I don't understand why God says, bless those who cuss me out, but you do it anyways. It didn't say, cuss those who cuss you. <laughs> and it said, if they use certain cuss words, cut them. It did not say that. It says, pray for those who despitefully use you. You may not understand why, but you do it anyways. You make a decision, I believe it, so I'm going to do it. You must make a decision to obey the Word of God. Not just to be hearers, but be doers. And one of the things it tells us in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we know faith is the lifestyle that pleases God. It says the just shall live by faith. And Hebrews 11 says without faith it's impossible to please God. So the life that pleases God is a life of faith. What you can't live a life of faith if you have no word. 
So if you're going to live a life that pleases God, you must live by the Word of God. And the only way you can live by the Word of God is getting in that Word every single day, listening to it every day, and coming to church as often as possible because that builds your faith and you can live by faith. You must put the Word as number one. One of the things we are, we are a Word church. We believe in the Word. We teach the Word. We preach the Word. We dissect the Word. We examine the Word. We are Word people. And one of the reasons we teach and preach the way we do is so that you hear the Word's opinion, not ours. One of the ways I was trained, I trained my ministers, you present the gospel. You make your case, not based off of what you think or what you feel. You let the Word speak for itself. Because that's why you give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Why? So that your hope and your faith is not based in men, but in the Word of God and the power of God. So that when you leave here, you know something what, you, what we talked about. Now, well, I went to church, it was good. Well, what happened? Well, I don't know, I felt good. Well, no, you learned something. You understood something. You may not have got it all, depending on your level of perception, but you got something. You know, even when Jesus was teaching, the crowds, based on their spiritual perception, determined what they could hear. So Jesus was there, and God spoke from heaven. You think, well, if God speaks to me from heaven, I'll be able to hear it and understand it. Not actually. Because Jesus was having a meeting, God himself spoke from heaven. And some people said it thundered. Other people said an angel talked to him. Other people heard the exact words of God. It was depending on their perception. As you grow in the word, your perception will increase. But you must make getting the word number one. So you get the word every day. What else do you need to do? You need to pray every day. Do I need to pray before, you know, do I need to pray? Let's start. Do I really need to pray? Yes. You don't know everything. You know, there's a prayer part of prayer where you're talking to God, and there's a part of prayer that you're listening. That some of us who like to talk a lot in prayer need to take time to go, shh. All right, anything you want to say? And listen. What if he doesn't say something? Keep moving. What if he does? Write it down and do it. Prayer. You know, even David talks about early while I seek you. So early couldn't be relative. Some people start work later in the day, and your early may be 11 a.m. Some people's like, that's late. You know, I start my day at 4 a.m. I've talked to God before 5 a.m. starts. Well, that's great. That's your early. But if your early is a different time, whatever it is, start your day with God. Start your day in the Word. Start it in prayer. Put that number one, which means you need to plan to do that which means depending on your level of energy and possibly your age, you can't stay up too late and expect to wake up early and see God. Like some of us need multiple alarms. Anybody else like me, you need multiple alarms? I had four to make sure I was moving this morning. I had, no, actually a little bit more than that. I think I had three on Alexa and two or three on my phone. How many need like a lot of alarms to get going? Well, you do whatever you need to do to make sure that you can start your day with God. Well, I got too much to do. We all got too much to do. Well, I got little kids. Me too. Sometimes I have to talk to God while I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old running around my legs. Oh, it's impossible. No, God gave me a vision one day while my three-year-old's right here and my one-year-old's trailing behind. It was a quick vision. I heard from God and I kept moving. So stop giving God excuses why you can't spend time with him. Because no excuses stick. Because even Jesus, the Son of God, Mark 1.35, woke up early before everybody else so he could spend time in prayer. 
If Jesus prioritized prayer and spending time with God, so should you. If anyone had an excuse why they didn't have to wake up early and pray, it was Jesus. But if he, our perfect example, started his day in prayer, then you need to too. We know even from watching the life of Jesus, Jesus spent time in the Word because we go to where it was written. He was the Word, but he spent time studying the Word. Now, if the Word studies the Word, you know you need to study the Word. If the Word would actually read the Word, you know you need to read the Word. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Start at verse 5. We need to put God first. We need to put his word first. We need to put his ways first. If we expect to transform into new you, God wants us to be. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Why? Your own understanding is lower than God's understanding. Understanding does not always come before faith. Sometimes believing God's word comes before understanding. You'll read something, well, I don't understand why this is true. I don't understand why it works, but I choose to believe it anyways. And after you made a decision of faith or to trust in the Lord, understanding comes. So you can't wait on your mind to catch up on your actions. You're like, I don't get it, but I believe it. When you think some of the deeper things about it, you think about eternity, we know that means forever, right? But you have ever stopped and think eternity means forever that way and forever this way? And it really began to break it down. It's mind-boggling. You don't get eternity because we're programmed to think there's a start and an end. But I may not get it, but I believe it. There is a forever. There is a forever in heaven, and there's a forever in hell. I pick heaven. I had someone tell me, say, yeah, I have to go to heaven. I prefer living my eternity in a gated community. I was like, you need, you need help. It's like, I need to pray for you more. <laughs> Verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge means know. It means recognize. In all your ways, all your decision making, all your patterns, every area of your life, recognize God. Know God's will in every area of your life. But you can only do that if you renovate your mind. And he shall direct your paths. So you renovate your mind and acknowledge him. He'll show you what to do. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think you know everything. Because you don't. Anybody here knows everything? Nope. If you lift your hand, we have an altar for liars. We get you delivered real quick today. We don't know everything. So we must not act like we do, which means we need to take, start our day in the word and in prayer. Reverence the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Honor the Lord. Put him first. Treat him as weighty with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your pressure shall burst out with new wine. First fruits. Why are first fruits first fruits? They're first. So we put God at the top of our day with our time and the word and prayer. We also put God number one in our finances. It's, an it's a concept before the law was ever given. People say, oh, that's under the law. Yeah, that's under the law, that's before the law, and that's after the law. Because you see the concept in the Garden of Eden. You see the concept with Abel and Cain. You see the concept with Abraham. Then you see the concept all throughout the law. You see the concept that Jesus tithed. He gave his first fruits. Then after that, you see in the book of Hebrews, we still give our first fruits. So it's a consistent thing that we put God first 
and our money. And we know Malachi 3, we've taught here, there are benefits for tithers. And I'm going to have my brother John give a testimony of some of the tithing benefits. If it could work for him, it will work for you. I think you all love this testimony. Go ahead, bro. Good morning, Faith. I just want to share with you my tithing testimony. I have always tithed, like even when I was a child, getting allowance. I get $10, I give a dollar or more for offering. It's just what I was taught. I didn't learn until later that there are benefits associated with it. So we know Malachi 3.10, right? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, let's fast forward to my work life, my career. Um, I'm in website design development. Now, you wouldn't think it in this field, but it is highly unstable. Me, myself, in my entire career, I have been laid off seven or eight times. Seven or eight times. But yet, every time, I have never been without a job for more than a week. And I attribute this to the fact that I have always tithed. And so one thing that I've done along the way, as I've had the opportunity to share that, I do. Now, last time I got laid off was February 26, 2015. It was a Thursday. I went in, and the company said, you know what? We're out of the software development business. We aren't going to do this anymore. Therefore, your position is eliminated. On the way home, I was praying, I was driving. I was like, Lord, uh, I've told a number of people about what you've done for me along the way about how I go. I don't go. It's, it's usually a week before I get my next position. But now I make more than I've ever made before, and I am in this position. What are we going to do now? Right? So then I realized that it's not my name on the line. It's yours. Right? So let's sidebar for a minute. I'm entrepreneurial. I've always been entrepreneurial. And so even while I was working at these other companies, I had my own company I was working to build and grow. Okay? So now let's get back to the story. I got laid off on Thursday. Friday, um, there's this place called Atlanta Tech Village, which is um, something of a place for technology-based companies. I went there and got office space. Um, now, if you will, imagine what you think a technology company looks like with glass walls, iPads on meeting doors to reserve rooms, big screen TVs in these meeting rooms to, to do presentations. It was just nice, right? Everything that you can imagine. That is what Atlanta Tech Village is. And so I went there and got space. That was Friday. Monday, I went in there and worked. I had some projects that I thought about getting out, and so I went there and worked Monday. Tuesday, I was late getting out of the house. I was sitting in my office at home, sitting in front of the computer, and an email comes up. Bling. I look at it, and it says, Website Design and Development Services. And usually, I get those emails from overseas, right? They're like, hey, we'll be your back-end person. We will do the work for you. But then when I looked at the name, it was an American name, right? So I clicked that link. 
looked at it, and, and essentially it said, hi, to whom it may concern, we have a need for your services. If you would, please call me. And it was a 404 number. And I was like, a 404 number? <laughs> so I picked up the phone, and I called, right? And he's like, hi, this is Blah Blah with Company. And I was like, hi, I'm John from Red One. He's like, wow, that was fast. I just pressed send, <laughs> right? So um, anyway, we talk, and he's like, you know what? I want to meet with you. I want to meet with you in your office tomorrow. And I said, well, great. We're located in Atlanta Tech Village. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on down. And so later that evening, I called my dad and told him, you know, what had happened. And he said, well, Jay, make sure that you read something about his company so you know something about him when he comes in. Right? And, and at first, I kind of brushed it off. But I was like, you know what? There's wisdom in that. So I looked up the company, and then I looked him up. And I found him on LinkedIn, and in his profile, he had the name of the project that he wanted me to come work on. So I did research on that project, and I found this document just talked about the whole thing, gave a great background on it. And so the next day, Wednesday, meeting day, I'd reserved a conference room on a nice iPad, and uh, I was like, how do I let him know that I found this document? So I put it, I put it up on the big screen TV, right? So he came in, and you know, we were talking. At some point, I was able to refer to the document. I was like, yeah, you know, I did some research, and I found this document. And he, was, you know, he looked up at it, and he was like, OK, and just went on with what he was saying. And I was like, man, I did all that research, put it up there. He didn't pay any attention. So anyway, by the end of the conversation, he said, John, just to let you know, I'm very impressed with you, your company, where you conduct your business, right? And the fact that you found that document, that's something that Deloitte wouldn't even do. And for those of you who don't know, Deloitte is like the first or second largest consultancy in the world, and he's comparing me to them. So that was Wednesday. He said, I will let you know something tomorrow. Thursday rolls around, and he tells me that we'd won the contract. So. One week, <laughs> he did it again, right? So all of my clients from my company, I can say that they came to me either because they were exposed to me, someone I knew, the work that I did, et cetera. But this one had nothing to do with me. And, and, and I, need to, I need to vet that out, right? So I went to him. I went to the guy who brought me on about a month into the project. I said, so how'd you find out about us? He said, research. It's like, okay. And I left it there, right? I didn't make too much of it because in my mind, I was like, you know what? He's going to forget that he told me that. And I'm going to come back in a few months and ask him the same thing and see what he says then, right? So about eight months later, I came back. I said, so how'd you find out about us? He said, research. Right? But this time, I kind of waited expectantly. And then he continued. He said, you have to understand, this is what I do. When we don't have capabilities in-house, I go out and I find a person or a company to partner with. He said, before I called you, I started two months before that looking for, 
looking for the capabilities. I started with 32 web development companies. When I called you, I was down to three, and then we ended up selecting you. So two months before I got laid off, right? God was already working this out, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how many of us know this is not enough to just get the work, but we have to perform, right? <laughs> so start out with a small project. We did that. We did that well and with excellence. And guess what? Another project came that was even larger than that project. We did that. Did that with excellence. And so starting tomorrow, there's a project from them that is larger than any other project that we have done for anyone before. It starts tomorrow. <laughs> it's all from God. Amen. Thanks, bro. So you see what putting God first in your finances will do. And if God will do it for John, he'll do it for you. See, there's benefits to making God, his word, and his ways number one. It's not just, well, I made God number one, he doesn't pay back. No, God always got your back. There's benefits for putting God first. Go to Joel chapter 2, and I'll close here. He's lived that principle of the word his entire life. And he said he has not been one week without a job after being laid off in that industry seven to eight times. And notice, it's been increasing. No, I asked him not to share the amount of that contract. But praise the Lord. Anyhow, that's benefits of a tither. Because I'll tell you, my testimony all day long, well, that's your, your passer. Of course, God does it for passer. What to do it for you? The word works for anybody who will work it. The word is not a respecter of persons. It's a respecter of faith and obedience. Joel chapter 2. Not living God's ways robs us of the life God wants us to experience. Not living God's ways robs us of the life God wants us to experience. So Joel chapter 2, start with verse 16. This is a passage our bishop read on New Year's. It says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth from his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the minister of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and give not your inheritance to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore, they should say among the people, where is their God? What he's saying, everybody come together and repent. Repent just means change your mind and go the other direction. So what do they do? They stop living according to God's ways. They stop putting God as number one. And they start doing things the way they wanted to do. They start living twisted. They start living wicked. They start doing sometimes God's way, sometimes their way. They stop doing what God wanted them to do. And so God sends the prophet and says, repent, change your mind. Put God first again. Make him number one again. Live according to the word. 
Because as you study out this passage, you see that the curse ravaged their life. Remember, under the law, they stood on one mountain, the blessing, on the other mountain, the curse. And God read the law. If you live this way, you get blessed. You live this way, you get cursed. And one of the things you see in the book of Joel, their lives were ravaged by the curse for years. He begins to detail the economic situations that happened in their life for years because they left following God's way. They left putting God first. They left tithing. They left putting God as number one in their life. But he says, after they repent, as they turn, the Lord will be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will make you no more a reproach among the heathen. Corn, wine, and oil are the symbols of their economy. And if you have that in abundance, your economy in that day was stable. And then he says, he talks about other things he will do. But skip down to verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion. There is a Zion of Israel, but there's also a new Zion. That's us, the church. God still has plans for the Jewish people. He is not done with them yet. To think otherwise would be to believe unbiblical things. God has a covenant with Israel, and that covenant is not done with. But God also has a covenant with his church. We are New Jerusalem. We are the Zion up in heaven. So you can be glad too. And rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. And what comes down for you, the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore. Say restore. restore. To you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmworm. These are great economic disasters. My great army which I sent among you. Doesn't mean God personally says, okay, bugs, go eat their stuff. No. It was the judgment upon them for violating the law of the Lord. They had got an agreement with God in the day of Moses. If we do this, we understand we will be blessed. If we don't, we understand we'll be cursed. So they knew where it came from. But God says, if you repent, I will restore to you. Even though it was your fault while your life is jacked up, I will make your life right and give back to you everything you lost because of your decisions, everything you lost because of your mistakes, everything you lost because of your sin. I will restore to you years. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that he has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. So he said, I will restore. So let me read you some definitions of restore in this year transformation and restoration. It means to restore, number one, to return a person as a a specific thing which he has lost or which he has been taken from him and unjustly detained. We restore loss to stolen goods to the owner, to make restitution or satisfaction for a thing taken by returning something else or something of different value. I don't have time on preaching to the eye, but I remember almost 20 years ago, Brother Copeland came to our church here, came to Dr. Dollar Church, and he was speaking, I think it was like a Tuesday night, it was a midweek, a special service. And I know my mom and her co-worker were going to go. They said, hey, you want to go? I said, yeah, I want to go hear the prophet of God. And I don't remember everything he spoke. You know, Brother Copeland will speak for a couple hours on a good day, sometimes longer. And, but I remember this one thing. He said, you need to say 
that you are the captain of your inheritance. That things that were denied to you or those who came before you and your ancestors is restored to you in your lifetime. So I don't have time to teach on this today, so I don't just believe in restoration for my life. I believe in restoration for those who came before me to hit my life and my children's life. So I began to say since I was 14, I am the captain of my inheritance. Things that were robbed from my ancestors because of wicked men or ignorance or their faults is restored to me in my lifetime. And as I began to lay hold of that, there are anointings that are in my bloodline that began to hit my life as a teenager. So one of the things you need to say is I'm the captain of my inheritance. So you got to think there are some of those who came before you either because of their own mistakes or their own lack of knowledge of the Word of God or things people stole from them or prevented them from having that God wanted them to have. But now they're in heaven and they, they have their heavenly reward. But there's some things on earth that God wanted them to have. If you lay hold to it, it'll come to you. So you can stop saying, well, the government should pay me back. You get it by your faith. You are the, yet say, I'm the captain of my inheritance. We're believing restoration, not for stuff that was just jacked up in our lives, but stuff that came before us. I'll preach on that sometime later this month. Number two, to replace, to return as a person or thing to a former place. Number three, to bring back or recover from lapse, degeneracy, declension, or ruin to its former state. Number four, to heal, to cure, to recover from disease. We're going to see that next week. Restoration in people's bodies, a miracle day. Number five, to repair, to rebuild, as to restore and build Jerusalem. Number six, to revive, to resuscitate, to bring back to life. Number seven, to return or bring back after absence. Number eight, to renew or reestablish after interruption. See, some of the transformation that you will experience this year is God making you whole. That you've been living your life like this pizza box. Only crust left. Even put in a good front, people think you whole. But you know, and I know, there's something missing in this box. But see, you know what's interesting about that word restore in the Hebrew? It comes from the root word of shalom, which means you're not whole until you've been restored. See, some of you have never been whole your entire life because of things, how you were brought up, things you've experienced, things that have happened to you. There's all these different reasons why you've actually not been whole. But God says, I want to make you whole. I want to restore you to the point to where you are whole, that you don't have to pretend like you got everything working together. No, you got it all together because God has made you whole. Part of your transformation this year is becoming whole. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what your parents did. It doesn't matter what that teacher said. It doesn't matter what relationships you've had. It doesn't matter how many times you've been married or divorced. It does not matter. God can and will make you whole. But you must go through the process of letting him make you whole. See, on Wednesday nights, we're starting a series called Enemies of Restoration. See, God will want to restore you, make you whole, but there's some things you can do that prevents that restoration coming. And we're talking about on Wednesday nights this month. But God desires to make you whole. That transformation you experience, as he told us in New Year's, we're not even going to recognize ourselves by the end of this year. It's going to be a change that we like. And part of that, some of you are going to be whole for the first time in your life. That you'll remember some of the bad things that were done to you, but it doesn't hurt anymore. You remember some of the trauma you went through, but you're not traumatized. You can barely remember, yeah, that happened, but that sting is gone. Yeah, it happened, but it has no more power over me. Yeah, I remember what they did, but it doesn't affect my daily life. I can make my own decisions because God has set me free. God has healed me. God has made me whole. 
God is about you being whole. His name is Jehovah Shalom. He's the God of peace. He's the God of you being whole. So what does God want to do? He wants to restore you to your whole. It doesn't matter how many pizza slices I've been eating out of your life. It doesn't matter if you only have crust left. Sometimes I only got a few crumbs, Pastor. Doesn't matter. It just means a bigger miracle. A bigger manifestation of God's favor and love and power and grace. God wants to make you whole. Well, the first step in becoming the new you God wants you to be in this year is put him first. Put his word first. Put him first in your life, in your time. You need to be in the word every day. You need to come to church as often as humanly possible. You need to spend time in prayer every day. You need a tithe. You need to do whatever it takes to put God number one in every single area of your life. That's step one. We'll pick it up here concerning healing next week. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.